At the Naperville Ale Fest this past summer, Bev and I stumbled across Wild Tonic, a farm-to-bottle June kombucha made with premium organic ingredients. Not only is it delicious, but it is booze that comes with benefits. Wild Tonic is fermented with honey, naturally gluten-free, and contains both pre- and probiotic bacteria. This helps promote good gut health while you're getting your drink on. And Wild Tonic comes in both a boozy and non-boozy form, so you can enjoy it at any time of day or at any occasion. And part of Wild Tonic's mission focuses on efforts dedicated to strengthening bee populations and doing what is best for the environment. They are also 100% woman-owned and located in Arizona. Now that's a company we can get behind. (laughs) So go to wildtonic.com to learn more and find out where you can buy Wild Tonic near you. Oh, hey, Sam. Oh, hey, Beth. What you just open over there? Oh, I just opened an Urban Artifact Operation Plowshare. Ooh, what's that made out of? So I have kind of a funny story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I bought it just because of the title of it. I was like, ooh, Operation Plowshare. I bet there's going to be a story about how they like all shared a plow to, you know, <laughs> plant all of the berries and whatnot that went into this beer because it's a blackberry Midwest fruit tart beer. But it is not that kind of plowshare. It says, Operation Plowshare was the general term for refocusing the efforts of nuclear explosions for peaceful purposes. So we turned this sour bomb into a delicious jelly donut flavored ale. <laughs> Not anything close to what I thought. No, no. But it sounds delicious. Yeah, it is really delicious. And I have had this beer. This was the beer that I drank on tap while I was walking around Jungle Gyms a few weeks ago. And I saw it in cans mm. and I was like, mmm, <laughs> buy this for the podcast. Yes. So what are you drinking over there? So I'm drinking a Southern Tier Brewing Company cinnamon roll. And it's an imperial ale with natural cinnamon and caramel flavors. And it's pretty delicious. Mm. But it's kind of potent. Um it's 8.6% ABV. But you know what? It's snowing like crazy here today as we record this. And I needed something heavy after I went and shoveled for almost an hour and did chores out in the cold, crappy snow. See, I'm <laughs> feeling very Grinch-like right. right now. As I was shoveling, my heart shrank like three sizes to the size of like the Grinches because I'm just not ready for this crap. <laughs> it's like up to my knees in spots. I'm just not ready. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. Yes, this is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain that we hope can apply to our audience of small and large-scale farmers to help everyone feel like they're not so alone in this farm thing. 
And sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related, but we cut a lot of those tangents and stick them up on the Patreon. So if you want to check those out, um, you can if you're one of our Patreon peeps, and you can become one of those by going to patreon.com slash drink and farm. Um, and we have a lot of fun things on there, like exclusive recordings. Um, sometimes there's pictures up there, and it's an excellent way to support the podcast starting at only $2 a month. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode are sponsored by Natalie Quist, which is at Cloud Lover Viber over on the Instagram. So cheers, Natalie. Cheers. So it's that time of the month again. Henny and Rubox time. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. And this one was a fun one. I mean, I feel like I probably say that every time, but I really liked quite a bit of what was in this box yeah I mean part of what makes it so fun is that it's just like a surprise so it almost doesn't matter what's in the box I'm gonna be excited (laughs) because I didn't know what it was was first so it's a surprise (laughs) that is fair so what was your favorite item this month so my favorite item this month is I'm not going to take your favorite item. I already know what your favorite item is going to be. <laughs> you did that last I'm, month. I'm currently using it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm currently using it to give you a clue what it is. Uh, so I'm going to say that my favorite item is that uh, Calendula salve. Oh, okay. The reason is, so I know it's intended. She sent it and put it in the box because you can use it on your chickens. But I'm actually going to keep it in the house because what it will help with in addition to like cuts and scrapes and whatnot is a wind chap you know from the winter air my daughter likes to lick her lips and her nose and then like the icy air hits it and it gets all chapped up and peeling and nasty Mm -hmm. but i can put that on there and it'll help heal it up especially while she's sleeping and it shouldn't really sting or burn or you know cause any of those things that create fights whenever you're trying to help a child but they don't want your help So my favorite, which is probably also Bev's actual favorite, or maybe second favorite, <laughs> is the Govino Happy Holidays Mother Clucker Shatterproof Wine Tumbler. Because how could it not be my favorite thing? <laughs> it's pretty cute. Right? I mean, I'm using it right now, and it has this super cool thumb spot in the glass, uh, like for your I thumb to rest in. that. Yeah, and it it actually makes it really easy to hold. So, hey. Yeah, I'm using a pint glass for my beer. I should have used that, though. That would have been funny if we both used it. But, yeah. I No, it's super cute. It's functional. It's something I'll actually use. So, and and it's like one of those things that was clearly a gift for the human. Um, But if you're not really into drinking, what you could do with that is like dump some of the flock party corn and mealworm treat that you got into it too, because you got a two pound bag into that and then like let your chickens eat out of it and take some super cute pictures too. So that's always a way to use some of the items in your box together if you're not into um, drinking booze out of it. I mean, you could also drink non-booze things, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that picture would break the internet. Yeah, especially, like, there's been this other thing going around virally, like, these little, like, hat and scarf things that you are supposed to be able to put, like, on wine bottles, but 
they're like from the dollar store or something and people are putting them on their chickens, like put that on your chicken and then use that. See, I just told everyone how to break the internet. So go do it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so please, if everybody does that, can you hashtag those drink and farm and tag us in them? Because yes. we want to fully enjoy those. Please yes. and thank you. <laughs> hashtag drink and farm, hashtag honey and rue. Yes, please. Yes. And thank you. Yes, yes, yes. So we also got a sample size of the fresh non-GMO chicken feed from Kirkland Hills, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is the Cedar Crest Farm and Feed. And it looked pretty cool. It had like a lot of uh, good stuff in it, it looked like. Yeah. You could see the ingredients. So yummy looking. I mean, I'm not going to eat it, but my chickens will be thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's from Ohio, so it was obviously good. Yeah. And we also got a magazine called the New Pioneer Magazine, um, and it's all about self-efficacy and sustainability um, and how they're beautiful things. So you can learn tips from simple living and small farm animal care from that magazine. So I'm pretty excited to check that one out. And we got a little bottle of hydrogen peroxide, which is a must in your first aid kit. So take that out of the box right now. Go throw it wherever your first aid kit is. You never know when you're going to need it. Exactly. And we also got a Honey and Rue sandalwood candle. Oh, it's so cute. And it comes in like this little ceramic pot. And it just, it smells good. It's a very like clean scent. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that, especially this time of year. Yes. In fact, I almost uh, put it in here and burned it because I have two of them because I got the Henny and Rue farm home box as well. So now I have one for out in the living room and one for my bedroom. Nice. And every box comes with a nesting box liner, so you can use that to line your nesting boxes, obviously. Yes. Yes, yes. So if you're interested in getting in on the December box, I just double-checked. I don't see any sneak peeks yet, but it's going to be, like, around the holidays, so I imagine it's going to be pretty good. Um, so maybe by the time this episode drops, there'll be some sneak peeks. So you can always check out Henny and Rue on Instagram or Facebook. But if you're just wanting to go ahead and sign up for your first box, you can go to honeyandrue.com and use code drink and farm at checkout to get 10% off your first box. And now we get to dive into our episode. Yes. And I'm pretty excited about this. I casually found this when I was like desperately searching. (laughs) for something for us to talk about because sometimes it's like things are quiet on the farm and I'm super grateful for that but we still need content for the podcast so we stumbled across this article from the poultrysite.com and the title is women and poultry how backyard poultry empowers India's rural women and so we're gonna go through this today and talk about the article and what this um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the author's name. Do you want to try, Bev? So it's Basudev Mahapatra. And I probably should have double-checked that with Jared because Jared works with a lot of people from India. So he's usually way better oh. at their names than I am. But I feel like that's pretty close. That sounds <laughs> like it looks. <laughs> say it like you mean it, right? Or you <laughs> right. Like spell it like you say it. What do they say? I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, um, so he wrote this article um, that gives a really nice overview of like the current situation in India and where it's going and how their government has started programs um, to help 
their rural people have different options for protein sources and be able to make a little money on the side too. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I love about this topic is like, I think backyard chickens, you know, they're always described as the gateway animal to homesteading because it's the gateway animal to being able to grow your own food because chickens are relatively easy to keep. You know, you can have a fancy coop and all of the things for them if you want to, but it's definitely not necessary if all you need is a protein source like eggs or meat. And there's a lot of really great uh, dual purpose breeds out there so that you can have both depending on what you need in that season. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think this is really cool because I think that, you know, there are areas in the United States where keeping chickens specifically because they are a protein source so that you don't have to go out and buy food is something that's really common. And so it's great to hear how it works around the world to lift people who would otherwise not know where their next meal is coming from out of that place into a place where they have enough nutrition. Because like you, you can't learn and grow as a human being if you don't have your basic needs met. And I can't remember what that principle is called off the top of my head. But yeah, if you don't feel safe and you aren't getting enough nutrition, you can't essentially have a successful career in anything either so we have this thing at work that we talk about a lot it's the social determinants of health and um food insecurity um is a big one and you can like we follow well (laughs) the drink and farm twitter follows the fao now um and they talked a lot about that in their conference that they just had in italy So I think this is really cool that India is addressing it in this way because it is like home to a lot of malnutrition, poverty, and gender disparity. Um, But it's increasingly becoming a place where people are exploring possibilities with backyard chickens. So we thought that was really cool because... You know, when I look at Instagram, I do have, I have a few people that I can think of off the top of my head that just strictly raise chickens for meat purposes and egg purposes, and they love their animals, but it's, it's a different mindset. Even like most people that do chicken selfie Sunday with me, (laughs) we just kind of have them for eggs, but we dote on them in a different way. Um, so both things are right in my mind. Nobody's doing it wrong in my mind. Um, as long as they're treating the animal ethically. But in this situation, this could even be like life or death for some people if they if they don't have this opportunity and they'd like to try it. So I think this is really cool and it's a different perspective than what we see every day just like scrolling through Instagram. Yeah. So one of the women that they highlight in the article, her name is Ranjita Sethi. <laughs> maybe um and she's 35 and she's from eastern in eastern india in the state of odisha is that right <laughs> it's gonna I be like so. sam's question is that right is that right <laughs> i think <laughs> um she has not only overcome poverty through keeping backyard poultry flocks but she's also been able to achieve nutrition security for um her family Uh, And after six months of managing country chicken in her backyard, she now has a reason to smile. And she says, because I raised the chickens in my backyard, I am now in the position 
or I'm in a position now to add egg and meat to our food plates and allow my children to grow well with adequate protein intake. And since she's done this, 20 other women from her village have started rearing backyard poultry too. And outside of their village, it's a common story. With more and more women opting to raise country chickens as an economic activity, backyard poultry is seeing a widespread growth in rural India. So I thought that was really cool. She's like a trendsetter of awesomeness with chickens. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we did not talk about when we were introducing the topic is the effect that malnutrition has on children. So by raising backyard chickens, she and other people in her community are giving their children an opportunity that they would not have otherwise had. And that's not only to stay alive, but they have the opportunity to thrive if they're intaking enough protein. So Exactly. That's a really good point. And according to the Indian government's National Action Plan for Egg and Poultry 2022, and that's N-A-P-E-P, Backyard poultry accounts for 20% of India's poultry sector, which is worth over $10 billion USD. It's actually almost $11 billion USD. And across the country, around 30 million farmers are engaged in backyard poultry. And that's estimated by the 19th Livestock Census of India. And I'm super jealous that they have a livestock census. Do we have a livestock census here? Because I've never had to fill one out for Uh, my chickens. I don't think so. That seems pretty big brother of me. And then I'd actually... Or not of me, of the government. And then I'd actually have to like go count my chickens, um, which I don't. Oh, like yeah, I that's right. Do. <laughs> See, and I'm over here like, my chickens' voices matter. Like, do they get to add more people in like the chicken house of representatives if they're counted? Like, I don't think so. No. <laughs> so they kind of talk through um, a variety of what they call country chickens in this article, but I just wanted to highlight the three most popular ones. Um, And the names are very interesting. Um, And when I say interesting, it means Sam is really scared to try to pronounce them. Um, Do you want me to say them? (laughs) I'll let, I'll let Bev do it, but maybe for the sake of comedy, I should, I should, but I'll let you do it. All right, so the first kind is a Vanaraha, and this chicken just looks like a giant golden comet, which is a chicken that I have in my backyard. They're just like that classic uh, dark golden color of chicken, but they're like really big, kind Mm. of like a meat bird, but they don't have that ridiculous Frankenstein look that a meat bird has. They just look like a really tough golden comet, for lack of a better (laughs) way to describe it. And then there's also the Aseel. And I was kind of surprised that this was one of the breeds because this looks like a fancy bird. It has feathers that kind of drag behind it like a dress train, Mm. or at least that's what the roosters look like. And they're described as more of an ornamental or a gamecock fighting type of bird. And in fact, um, there's like a hierarchy for them that was described on Wikipedia because as soon as I saw the names of these birds, I'm like, I have to figure out... (laughs) what these chickens look like because I'm curious like how are they the same or different from what we breed here and it turns out they're really not that different it's just that they're they usually look more dual purpose but I wanted to point out that the Indian classification of a seal is uh naked healers and knife fighters slash slashers whoa (laughs) 
Yeah. So I think they're kind of, they're like, they're a dual purpose bird and that they can be used for fighting also or show is another way. Cause like they're described as being really spry and aggressive and they kind of oh. look like it. Like they're kind of skinny and tall, but like really pretty. Interesting. So yeah, you guys will want to look at these, uh, these chicken breeds uh, when we're all done going through this. And then the last one that we're going to talk about is the Giriraja. I'm sure that I said that one wrong. I can't say that that fast. Better than what I would have said. (laughs) (laughs) And they just look like dark red Brahmas. They don't have the necklace around the neck like you usually see a Brahma, but they have like the dipping on the wings and their back feathers Mm. of the black, but they're like a a darker red color. And they're pretty like big and meaty looking too. Okay. So they're some pretty cool chicken breeds. Yeah. And the... um as Bev kind of touched on to, I think most of the birds that they try to focus on are like a uh, dual purpose, but some of those would probably be better off just being like egg producing birds. Um, and there are just a bunch of different um, Indian states that utilize these breeds. Um, and they're very popular because of their dual purpose-ness. <laughs> um, and it's like a a better bang for your buck when you are able to have a bird that has multiple options. So there these birds also tend to be more resilient to different climate conditions. Um and they're capable of protecting themselves from predators over some breed breed choices. So that tough one that Asil Bev was talking about oh, maybe would yeah. fight things off a little better than like my silky in the backyard would. <laughs> well and you know one other reason for them to probably breed dual purpose is they don't necessarily know what their tomorrow looks like but by having chickens that can either give them eggs or meat depending on what their needs are they have those bases covered so yeah it's pretty smart good stuff so one of the primary objectives of popularizing backyard poultry farming in rural india is to provide a better income Um, to poor families and people from indigenous communities that are living in remote areas. And among its benefits is that it can make rural women economically and socially empowered, um, and they can address those food issues of food insecurity and malnutrition. So while the whole poultry sector in India produces about 88 billion chickens per year, according to figures that were gathered in 2016 and 2017, Um, this actually represented a growth of about 6% on the previous year. Uh, but backyard poultry has a substantial, though still relatively small share in it. Over 31.4 million rural and poor households involved in it produce about 10.6 billion eggs annually. So there's a lot of billions and millions going on there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of people in India. Yes. (laughs) And going by standard nutritional requirements, half an egg a day is optimal for an average healthy person, which translates into about 180 eggs per person per year. But the present availability is only 69 eggs per person per year. So they got a long way to go. 
Yeah, and while India's per capita chicken meat consumption is around three kilograms per year, and that's 6.6-ish pounds for us Americans, um, and that's compared to the world average of around 37 and a half pounds of consumption for us. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the poultry meat consumption has been very low in rural pockets of India. So the main reason for this is that the low purchasing power of people living in these areas. Uh, The article references that an assistant veterinary surgeon um, said that the popularization of backyard poultry is essential in India to ensure increasing access to protein and nutritious food at an affordable price in rural India. And in such a scenario, the scope of backyard poultry is enormous to expand across rural areas. So, Everything's pointing to give these people chickens. Um, So it's kind of like, you know, Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. (laughs) But maybe not as cheeky. Um, So give them chickens um, because they can actually have those and eat them. Um, So the government is excited and stepped in. And under the Department of Animal Husbandry, Dairying, and Fisheries, poultry development programs were implemented through state authorities. So one of the government programs that they've implemented uh, contributes by supplying chicks to farmers who are below the poverty line. And in the northeastern areas of India, the government provides 100% support for this provision. So they're doing this at no cost to the farmers. And as per government guidelines, about 25% of the funds have to be spent on promoting backyard poultry among qualifying groups of farmers, whereas 30% of the allocation must be earmarked for women beneficiaries. And each beneficiary gets 45 birds at a subsidized price in two or three cycles on the basis of progress. If they require more birds, the farmer must invest in them from the income generated out of the business. So each beneficiary is also provided assistance for preparing night shelters and other facilities. So that's kind of like how the money is earmarked, broken down. And I think it's really cool that the government's encouraging them, or not really encouraging, but requiring them to take the money that they got and reinvest it so they can make it bigger. Because I think, to me, that most likely would empower someone and make them feel like they owned it if they were the ones in charge of running it how they want to run it and using that money in a fiscally responsible way. And getting eggs and meat for your family. So the whole thing to me is just really kind of cool. Yeah, it is. And the with the program being set up that way, I I do like you use the word like empower them. You know, nobody likes to feel like they're just taking a handout. Like they want right. to feel like they have purpose and a stake in whatever it is that they're doing. So I feel like this government program was really set up to be psychologically beneficial to the max if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. because if you just went out there with a giant truck of chickens and was like here take all these chickens it can provide opportunities for you it doesn't provide that that ability to grow from it so you get to start with just a small number and then continue to reinvest and eventually put together a business based on your backyard chickens which is super cool Totally. The article also points out that to ensure the benefits reach the maximum number of people 
Um, the state government of Tamil Nadu has recently launched a program for the free distribution of 50 country t- chicken along with a cage to 77,000 rural women. And then there are other states in India that have also implemented similar programs on a like a massive scale. So this is like rolling out big time in India and it's um, definitely getting some traction. And under uh, other programs, the state governments also promote and support backyard poultry in the rural areas for disaster recovery and rehabilitation and for entrepreneurship development and livelihood support. And the government also builds the capacity of farmers by implementing trainings to them. So they're helping them to grow and learn in what it is that they're doing, which is amazing. Yes. And they'll also provide up to 80% financial support and encourage entrepreneurs, women groups, non-government, as well as government agencies to start what they're calling, quote unquote, mother units to take care of the brooding and vaccination of chicks in the first four weeks of growth before they are distributed. So now not only are they giving them the ability to raise chickens for meat or eggs, but they're also giving them the ability to start hatcheries, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) And with the support from central as well as state governments, backyard poultry farming is spreading in almost all of the states and union territories of India. Woohoo! And going back to Ranjita and her friends, they are making a profit of about $40.88 every three months while feeding their families with meat and eggs. Um, So to us, that doesn't sound like a lot, but to someone that didn't have anything before and didn't have food on their plate and they didn't have money in their pocket, that's a really big deal. So thousands of women in in similar situations across rural India are now feeling empowered through backyard poultry, which has become an important means of supplementary income. And it plays a role in bringing socioeconomic improvement among the more vulnerable sections of society, especially among those tribal populations, landless laborers, and women in remote areas. Backyard poultry also makes protein-rich food available, like we've talked to a a few times. Um, And they're hoping over the longer term, the hope is that the popularization of backyard poultry farming will continue to address poverty, hunger, and malnutrition throughout rural India. And according to a report by management consultants McKinsey & Company, India's per capita chicken consumption is set to grow from 6.61 pounds to just over 20 pounds by the year 2030. So that is going to be a rapid change in the consumption behavior for the people of India. And this program should be able to help sustain that. And it's what's encouraging that behavior to change because it's so accessible compared to other sources that they might have a harder time getting a hold of. Yeah, and that's a pretty significant change. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. <laughs> but that concludes our overview of that article. So we hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. I thought that was really neat to learn about because I had no idea that that was something they were doing. Um, and I just, I just think that's so cool. When people feel empowered because it can make a world of difference to them and their mental health and their physical health with what they're doing. So good on you, India. Slow clap. 
I know Bev prefers the fast clap, but I like the slow clap. <laughs> I do. <laughs> it's like my caffeinated rabbit clap. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. Woo! Yay! What do you got for us this week, Bev? So a Russian billy goat died ending a goat tiger bromance. Aww. What happened? So I don't know if you heard about this. So the goat had an unlikely friendship with a tiger, and the tiger was supposed to eat him. (laughs) But that goat has recently died from ill health. And not as the tiger's dinner, which was kind of interesting. (laughs) Back in 2015, a goat was put into a tiger enclosure, you know, as live, uh, Mm -hmm. as like live kill. And instead of eating the goat, the tiger and the goat became friends. (laughs) And the internet like blew up about it. But this, unfortunately, the friendship ended rather quickly. So he was introduced as dinner in November-ish of 2015. By January of 2016, the goat had to be removed uh, because eventually the goat got just a little too aggressive with the tiger. And the tiger (laughs) essentially told him to stop in the only way that tigers know how to. (laughs) And uh, he roughed up the goat uh, just a little bit too much. And the goat had to be removed from his enclosure and put into his own enclosure. And so I'm only going to link to one article in this, but seriously, I read like five articles on this because I just was like, what the hell? This is the craziest story I've ever heard. I had no idea that a goat and a tiger had become friends. (laughs) And at the time, I guess the internet kind of blew up about it. And people were actually traveling to this zoo in Russia just to see the goat tiger bromance. And it became like, this really big thing for the zoo they had merch made like featuring <laughs> both the tiger and the goat and it became like this really lucrative thing and you know people that know anything about tigers and goats were like uh dude this isn't going to end well like this can't continue for forever and, i mean we have goats they are obnoxious af sometimes <laughs> Like in just the way that they behave and they play, you know, they headbutt everything, they kick everything, they jump on everything, they can be a little territorial. And um, so I wanted to read this, uh, this part, though, because I thought that this was super interesting. So after the goat was removed from the tiger's enclosure... The zookeepers actually put out a personals advertisement for a female goat to keep uh, Timmer, that's the goat's name, company, because they were hoping that owners of goats would offer candidates and they can send pictures of possible brides to them so they could pick one. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It was like, oh, my God, Tinder for goats. (laughs) And... Uh, when the split happened, it turned out that it was actually really good timing because a lawyer in one of the cities in Russia had written a letter to Russia's prosecutor general saying that the media cover of the same sex pair was a violation of Russia's ban on so-called gay propaganda. Oh, Jesus. So... Like, this this goat and tiger pair just, like, caused an uproar in so many different ways. And uh, the zookeepers are saying that the goat did not directly die from the tiger's attack, 
but his health has been steadily declining since January of 2016 when he Mm. was attacked by the tiger. Some would say that maybe he died from heartbreak from having to be removed from the tiger. (laughs) But whatever the case, the bromance is officially over because Timur the goat has passed on. So rest in peace, Timur. too weird <laughs> yes <laughs> it was all over the place and it had everything it had sex it had violence it <laughs> had russian propaganda <laughs> well no wonder people were all up in its business right <laughs> so what's your can't even this week so my can't even was actually <laughs> we both picked this initially <laughs> so it's too good um and it's an article from msn.com. Um, and the title is A New Zealand Man Accidentally Bought 1,000 Chickens Online for 96 Cents. <laughs> Which is like some people's dream come true. But for me, that just sounds crazy. Even though like my like uh, the rules for the amount of property I have totally would allow for it. Um, so... <laughs> It could be something that I could do. It just wouldn't necessarily be something I would do. Um, But what happened was there was this guy, his name's Steve Morrow. Um, He actually only desired to purchase like a small amount of birds, um, not a thousand. So he saw on an, an auction website in New Zealand Um, that there was an urgent sale for birds. So he sent a screenshot to um, Insider, uh, who he originally talked to, and it indicated that the seller was looking to move 1,000 hens from its free-range egg farm in Massey, which is near Auckland, by Monday, as it was closing down and needed to be vacated. But Steve, who manages the bed and breakfast, was only looking for a couple of hens, Uh, Because he's already got 10 on the property. And those provide eggs to his guests um, for their breakfast. But he kind of misread the ad thinking he could put a bid in and take as many or as few chickens as he wanted to. So he initially put in a bid for $6.70 American. And by Sunday morning, he discovered that he had actually won the whole auction for 96 cents. So the seller, Matthew Bloomfield, later spoke to Morrow and asked him what he had planned to do with a thousand hens. And at that point, he, (laughs) Steve was like stunned, shocked and speechless. He wasn't (laughs) sure what to do. So he posted on Facebook asking for help. And within hours, like Steve received like thousands of replies from people across the country offering to lend a hand in rehoming the birds. And it was so overwhelming that he actually like had to shut his phone off because it was like going like crazy at like 1 a.m. because there were so many people trying to help. So what happened was an animal sanctuary um, called the Animal Sanctuary (laughs) in Matakana, New Zealand, contacted Steve and offered to coordinate the rescue of the hens and send them off to their prospective homes. So um, with the help of the sanctuary and his online community, it was able to find homes for all 1,000 birds by 3 p.m. local time on Monday, which is crazy. Um, and despite the mix-up, Steve said he was impressed by the posi- by how positively his community responded to his story because the whole experience showed him that people in New Zealand are like one big family when it comes to helping those in needs. 
And now everyone is calling him the chicken man. So (laughs) he's stuck with a bad nickname, but at least he doesn't have a thousand birds. (laughs) Right. Well, and it sounds like he didn't keep any of them. Like it says that he found a home for all thousand birds, but he needed a few more. He should have at least kept a handful of them. Maybe he was just like traumatized by the whole situation. (laughs) He's like, no more chickens. I can't take any more chickens. I'm picturing what a thousand chickens in one place would look like. and It would be a lot of chickens. And it would smell pretty fragrant. Oh, yeah. Mm. Fragrant's a good word for that. Yeah. (laughs) So we do have a farm story this week. We do. Um, So this is just your friendly weekly reminder to send us your farm stories. You can do so by emailing us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com. Or you can do like Jess, mother of chickens, did and send them to us over on Instagram. And I have a request for specific types of farm stories if anybody wants to oblige. So I would like people's farm stories about a special chicken that they have. Because I have recently discovered that I have a special chicken. And I this Mm. is like I'm going on my third year of chicken keeping. Yeah, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm coming up on my third year of chicken keeping. And I've never had a chicken that really stood out to me. But I have one now. And so I I have some stories, and I'm wondering if anybody else has some stories out there, because I think that would be a fun mini-sode to do if we can get enough of them. So tell us all about your special chicken and something about it. Yes. And if you don't have a special chicken story, we'll take any kind of farm story, but it would be really cool to have like a mini-sode with special chicken stories. Yes. Yes, it would. All right. So this is from Jess, mother of chickens over on Instagram. And she says, my husband and I live on a half acre lot with a sizable fenced in backyard and a quiet development surrounded by Amish farms in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We rescued an amazing senior great dame named Joey, who you can follow on Instagram at old lady Joey. And they adopted her two years ago. A year ago, we embarked on our first chicken adventure. I had chickens on the family hobby farm when I was a teenager, but this time I was going to raise just a few as pets and layers. We technically aren't zoned for farm animals, but with the privacy vents on one side and a really cool neighbor on the other, we decided to build our chicken tractor. After much research on breeds in mid-March last year, I picked up my first pullet chicks, four buff Orpingtons from Tractor Supply. One died upon arrival at the brooder. Oh. We went back and the buffs were all gone, so we settled for two Isa Brown pullets. I raised them in the basement until mid-June, training them to come to my call, cuddling with them, feeding them treats, and just talking to them. We formed quite a bond. The one, Then one of my pullets, Beaker, started making some weird, loud calls. Turns out Beaker was a roo. Oh, no. I knew this was a possibility, but when they all grew at the same rate and none of them stood out from the others at eight weeks, I thought we were out of the woods. In fact, Beaker was the smallest of them all, so I was in denial for a few weeks that Beaker was a roo, but the crowing only got stronger and stronger. Alas, I had to find him a new home. I tried Facebook, but as you girls talked about in the first episode of Drink and Farm that I ever heard... That was a bust. I tried Craigslist, but couldn't find any serious buyers. 
So finally, I took him to the local farmer's market small animal auction. And there he sold for $3. And the auctioneers took a cut, too. (laughs) I try not to think about what happened to poor Beaker after that. Meanwhile, back at the farm, several months went by and the rest of the flock were by then living out in the coop, happy and sweet, cuddling with me, following me, jumping into my lap for pats and treats and to take a nap. Then I started to hear a familiar sound. That dang crowing again. It took me a week or so to figure it out for sure who was doing it. And by then, they all were crowing. What? I had an entire flock full of roosters (gasps) that had been sexed as pullets. Oh, no. (laughs) A few weeks later, I put them... All in individual boxes, each with their own sign saying their name, their age, and breed, and that they like treats and cuddles and children. And I got about 16 bucks each for them at the auction. I was able to sell them as pets at auction, and it took some of the sting out of having to rehome my sweet babies. Oh. Yeah. After a sad goodbye, we went straight to a family chicken farm I found on Craigslist and picked out a one Orpington one Rhode Island Red, one Australop, one Americana, and one Bard Plymouth Rock. They were hatched around the same time mine were, so we didn't start over, but they were scared stiff of me. Today, they are all laying. They follow around me around for treats, and the Bard Rock lets me pick her up and hold her for chicken selfie Sundays. While it took some heartache and disappointment, I've learned a lot from my chicken journey, and I've learned to listen to my mom when she said to get a lot more chicks than I wanted to keep. (laughs) Now we get to learn how to keep chickens in the winter. Love the podcast, girls. Thanks for the encouragement, ideas, and the laughs. The end. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I I know. I can only imagine. Like, so... I feel like you'd go through like the seven stages of grief. Yeah. (laughs) When that happened, because you're like, you're in denial. You're like, no, (laughs) these all can't be roosters. And like as a first time, so it's all running through my brain. My brain is moving so fast right now. (laughs) As a first time chicken mom, you can't recognize a rooster and a hen like right off the bat, especially if it's your first ones. Like now that I've raised three separate flocks of chicks I feel like I can pick out the roosters right away and this last one I had the roosters pegged within three weeks so you get better at it but like the first time you'd be like what this is really what hens are like and then you're like oh wait a second oops (laughs) (laughs) no no it's not (laughs) oh gosh well I'm glad it worked out in the end (laughs) yeah yeah I think uh that is a lot of people's worst nightmare especially when they don't live in an area that allows for roosters. Um, but you can't just keep all the roosters either. No. I mean, I kept all my roosters, but I also have about uh, 11 acres for them to roam. And so far, nobody's been yeah. fighting. So, <laughs> Yeah. Keep it clean. Well, and that was a great suggestion at the auction with having them in a box with their name and all of the little things about them. So hopefully someone can use that if they ever have to take their roosters to the auction for any reason. Yeah. It might be helpful. Now it's time to read our weekly review. So we've been doing this for a couple of months now. So you can leave us a review over on Apple Podcast. If you don't have an Apple product, you can download iTunes to your laptop if you have one. 
And what we do is we take all the reviews we read for the month and draw a name out of the hat. And that person will get an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. So make sure you leave your Instagram handle or some way for us to find you so we can track you down and send you your mug if you win. Yes. So I'll read this week's review. And this is a really special review because this review is from the beautiful lady that does my hair. (laughs) Her name's Madison. And she says, love this podcast. Hilarious and full of information that is helpful to literally anyone. I love their dynamic. If I can learn something and laugh at the same time, I'm all ears. This podcast definitely delivers in every single episode. So thanks, Maddie. So cute. Yes. Thank you. And I can't wait to get my hair done again in December. (laughs) (laughs) So just a few housekeeping items. Make sure you hit that subscribe button um, and download the episode. That is a great way to support the podcast for free because it helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor and share this episode over on the Instagram in your stories and tag us at Drink and Farm. We'll send you a promo code just for this episode that'll give you a percentage off in our shop. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to articles we discussed, um, a survey to tell us how we're doing, all of our social media goodness, and our merch shops. So thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thank you. And we hope you... People that might be in the Midwest suffering from the snow or recovering from the snow survived. Um, (laughs) Because only more is going to come, right, guys? So thanks for listening. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I'm rooting for more snow. I'm looking at my window right now begging for it it to start. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) You are what's wrong with this weather. (laughs) You're beckoning it. And it's like routed up to me first and just like slapped the shit out of us. Now it's going to come down you and just like sprinkle lightly, very lightly while you like sip coffee and enjoy it. And I just shoveled like six inches of it. I mean, I'm going to wake up tomorrow to like a beautiful sparkly blanket of just like tiny light snow. (laughs) I'm going to go do my snow dance. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) So until next time, drink, farm, and and give give zero clucks. (laughs) Bye, guys. We drink things, we farm things. We drink and farm things. First Saturday Lime isn't just for your coops and barns. There are so many ways to use it around your home. You can use First Saturday Lime to create a barrier around your home, your boots, and your firewood to keep unwanted bugs away. First Saturday Lime can also be used as a whitewash, and it can be used to balance out the pH in water to prevent algae growth. With so many uses, you really can't go wrong using this safe, organic lime. Go to FirstSaturdayLime.com and use code DRINK at checkout to get 20% off and free shipping.